Okay, so hi everyone. This is Marion Wren, and I'm sitting here with Kathleen Volkmiller. Um, so for our podcast listeners, our slush pile listeners, please trust that this is an absolute first. Kathleen is here in the United Arab Emirates, sitting at my desk, a little round table at NYU Abu Dhabi's Writing Center. Yeah. Yay. And it may not be blue cinder block, but it's also windowless. It's a windowless. <laughs> this is true. It's, well, there's a giant window behind you, but it looks out yeah. onto another windowless room. Right. Yeah. So, you know. It's, and, it's colorful, though. It's I like of, it like so much else here. It's full of in decorations. In Abu Dhabi. It's full of decorations. That's true. Um, so Kathleen's been here for a couple of days, and um, we've been out gallivanting and getting a, a, a sense of the local scene. So what sticks with you the most from your your trip and your adventures thus far? Well, I think it's been a combo of work and play. Uh, (laughs) We have, you know, did some um, talking with some people, did a couple class visits, but also managed to find time to drive out into the desert and ride a camel. (laughs) So I think I'll remember riding out to the desert and riding a camel. Yeah. And, um... That part of the trip, it was the desert itself. I I, th- I knew it would be awesome, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. awe-inspiring, but I didn't know it would be just simply so beautiful. Yeah, so um, Kathleen and I went out to the Liwa Desert, and it's in a region of the UAE in Abu Dhabi called the Empty Quarter. Um, and I believe that's the place where they filmed the opening of the Star Wars episode uh, Rogue One. I, so it's, it's sorry, the pink, listeners, the not pink the Star Wars. sand planet is real. Like yeah, it's, it's yeah. you know in our backyard here in yeah. in Abu Dhabi. Um, and but the thing I have to point out right now is the wristband. So Kathy's here with me. Um, I took her to the beach, and uh, she's been here working um, at a graduate student fair where she's representing the Drexel publishing group and the publishing program at Drexel. So, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, an hour of R&R and then five hours of work and then two hours to take a break. <laughs> but but Marion lives so conveniently close to the golf that we were there in about seven minutes. <laughs> we literally ran on the lunch break. Exactly. I went back to the fair with golf water in yeah. my hair. <laughs> yeah. So, you know what? Let me just happily, say that, happily. That, is, that is absolutely a highlight moment for me to be bobbing around in the Gulf water going, what are we going to do on the podcast? Right? So, and Mary was like, you can rinse off. I said, I'm not rinsing off. <laughs> I'm taking this beach hair I'm to the meeting. wearing the beach hair for the second half of my day. Oh, it was man. pretty great. It was yeah. pretty great. Yeah. But um, I guess we'll get to it too. I mean, we had yeah. all these, I could tell you about Dubai. I could tell you about the mall. <laughs> I would love to tell you about the Barj Khalifa, but... Really, there's so much will stick in my mind, but one of the um, penultimate moments besides talking uh, with Marion's freshman class of 12 students, Mm -hmm. each of whom was from a different country, Mm -hmm. and having um, a mock editorial board session with them. Maybe Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that on another episode, but it was um, really uh, a teaching moment of my lifetime. Yeah. Um, But also... Uh, we attended a reading on Friday night, Rooftop Rhythms, mm-hmm. um, Never Have I Ever, mm-hmm. right? In the 200 years that Marion and I have been part of the literary scene and attending readings, um, I've never seen 
a crowd that large, that diverse in age, community, background. Um, never have I ever, let alone for an open mic. You know, yeah. I was telling somebody else about it. I was going, well, I guess, I guess at Joyce Carol Oates, there were that many people. Yeah. And maybe, you know, but this was an open mic. And we did get a number, didn't we? Yeah. So that's what I wanted to jump in and say that. Um, so the event is called Rooftop Rhythms and they're in their sixth season. Uh, I think it's like the second or third season that they've been here at NYU Abu Dhabi. There were 350 people in the room for this poetry event, right? And so it's their kickoff for the season and 350 people. And that includes some college students, some college professors, some staff members here at the university, and then folks from outside of the university coming onto campus. And that is, I, I want to lay that at the feet of uh, Bill Bragan, who is the uh, executive artistic director of the NYU Abu Dhabi Art Center. Um, and Bill's a magician and a maestro. Like the way he's able to create a scene and gather a crowd and support people um, and artists as they become the thing they're meant to become yeah. is really extraordinary. Let me ask you, I think that the way I understand it is um, the host had been doing it on his own somewhere in Abu Dhabi, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Bill heard about it mm -hmm. and said, let us house it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so it's, it was, um, um, I've never, it was a miracle. <laughs> um, it really it was. was I, you know, I mean, I know miraculous. that even the listeners know I cry really easily. <laughs> I was just so moved, uh, just looking around. I was, I was just looking down the row of where I was sitting, and and at one point I actually turned to Marion and said, "Guess who's here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The world." Yeah. Because that's what it was. That isn't yeah. what it felt like. That's what it was. was. Yeah. And there, and I've never also seen a crowd be that warm and receptive to one another. Yeah. The hooting and hollering and wooting and stomping mm -hmm. was... Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. So that, I would say, I, I also want to point at the host of the event, um, one of the founders of Rooftop Rhythms, or not the founder, and his name is Dorian Paul D. Rogers. So Dorian um, started this, as I said, about six years ago, and I was lucky enough to be, you know, I've been here, what, now? I'm going in my... Oh my goodness! You're starting your fifth year. Whoa! Yeah. So in my first year, I I got here and thought, what have I done? <laughs> Where's the poetry world? Where's the poetry scene? I stepped right. off the plane and it felt like that was the, the like a cultural desert. And within a month, realized that that was just a myth because mm -hmm. Paul Dorian Paul D Rogers. I always want to call him by his not full name, but he goes by Dorian, mm -hmm. he right? Goes by Dorian. So Dorian was um, running an event, literally at a rooftop, a rooftop. right? At one of these international hotels um, and I you know people paid an admission to come in and then they were outside under the stars when the weather was nice <laughs> and he was hosting a spoken word poetry event and it made me feel like I was back in New York by way of Las Vegas right because <laughs> posh hotel people mm -hmm. were dressed to the nines yeah and there were like 200 people who had turned out for just like to my mind was like some random poetry event right right because it was just open mic and it was it was just a like a lightning rod, like the whole um, area, Abu Dhabi, Alain, some of those sort of, you know, people regions People come around. in from the Western region. 
people too. they drive in right so Dorian yeah. lives in the western region and he comes but there in. were other people as well yeah and we were lucky enough to hear poets from Yemen poets from the Sudan poets from the Philippines poets from um, the United States of America a high school student from North Carolina who's here going to school her parents are in the region she read a poem yes, one of the talent. children of a professor who works here read a poem well he right? closed the show in, in the most astounding way yeah and there were um it was the kickoff of the season Mm -hmm. so um two freshmen read and that blew my mind Mm -hmm. and people were doing all sorts of styles of poetry but didn't like somebody else i think at least three people said it was the first time they performed yeah um but freshmen Freshman, mm-hmm. three four weeks into a new term at an international university, right. and three hundred people in right. the audience. Right. It, it was stunning. Yeah. It was absolutely stunning. And the freshman who read herself, she's um Malayalam, like or actually she's from India. Uh, but, well, her family's from India. She grew up in Abu Dhabi. They speak Malayalam. And so she was toggling back and forth between English yeah. and Malayalam in a way that was also critiquing being forced to learn English in school. And she was the one who read, yeah. It was remarkable. It, it was, was really remarkable. Um, uh, and I wish I could say, I think her name was Akma. We'll have to look it up to confirm that. Um, yeah. And we were lucky enough to have audio and video of the event so we'll be able to share that with our our listeners right and we um this is just marion and i talking in her office as we said but we're gonna have a few follow-up episodes and this episode will have um excerpts from the um reading itself mm-hmm. and potentially interviews with Dorian and poets who were there down the line. Uh, but we just wanted to record uh, while we were together mm-hmm. um, to be able to say that we've done it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, I mean, a true... I've been living with that cuckoo clock. Right. Listeners, so, I've been so living with that cuckoo listeners, clock. Listeners, a true first, right? So sitting in this audience of 350 people, looking to my right, seeing Kathleen sit next to me, listening to Salama Ta, who's the UAE's uh, first Grand Slam our first the Grand Slam winner. I mean, there's some special prize here in the UAE. He's an Emirati Slam poet. He said he was the first one from Abu Dhabi. First one from Abu Dhabi, yeah. but he's an Emirati Slam poet. And, right. and he himself is a force of nature. And I guess maybe that's a, a place to sort of land. It's like the UAE is like, you know, I want to say 20% Emirati culture, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's all Emirati culture, but 20% local people, right? right. And then 80% expats, and they're mixing from all over the world. Yeah. And that was represented in the audience, on the stage, right. and and sort of um, what, like the ringleader there is, is Dorian. Yeah. And for me, the thing I'll take away is him holding a microphone for a guitar player who was like sitting and singing yeah. this gorgeous, um, forget the name of the song. It was something by The Fray. It was a cover of a song by The Fray. And, and, and the best moment, though, was when the singer um, changed his pitch mm-hmm. and went really high with it and Dorian started ruffling his hair. Yeah. <laughs> strangers. Um, yeah. Strangers on a stage. Indeed. Indeed. Um, Making it happen. Yeah. I mean, the real cornball feeling I couldn't shake was... Are there really problems in the world? Like, if people can play this nicely, how can there be 
such living hell yeah. in some places. Right. It it was absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Poetry. Yeah. Poetry is what we need more of. Poetry will Open save your mic. life. Save your life and save the world. Three yeah. cheers for the human heart <laughs> and for rooftop rhythms. Yeah. So more on that soon. Everybody, one more time, Hibba Rashid. Hi. <laughs> Um, the last time I performed at Rooftop Rhythms was three years ago, so I'm honored to be here. Um, a few years ago, I wanted to join this poetry group, but they turned me down, saying my, writer, my writings weren't up to par. So I decided then to write a poem defending my poetry, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Thanks. They claim with good intentions, that I make you turgid, douse your beautiful face in a sea of makeup, spoil you lavishly, kill your substance. But this is me, not pompous, not a murderer, simply an adulator of words that taste sour on my tongue, hard to swallow, breach convention to mirror my soul's intricate path. A singer once said that simplicity is making peace with your complexity. I have found peace in your complexity and how you make sense and nonsense simultaneously hidden behind layers upon layers of imagination and intelligence waiting to be unraveled by those who are worthy of your value. I want to keep you this way. I want to remember you this way, veiled in a shadow of esotericism, my queen of rebellion. They don't understand that I adore you as much as they do. Those sleepless, heart-pounding, mind-itching, soul-scratching nights where you lovingly smothered me until I exhaled you. Sculpted you to perfection, then set you free to roam. Spread your fire, call out to war-torn nations, embrace orphans, condemn, condemn injustice, reflect God's love, my love. Never pompous or murderous. My love flourishing in you, even if they say you're flawed. Thank you. His name is Salamata. Show him some love. My bad. Um, Salam alaikum. Shalakum. What's up? My name is Salam. Shukr Abdul Alim. Salam Ammar. Abshkur Latas. The third. That's not true. Um, could you imagine if I could track three cycles of that? Oh my God. Um, so I wrote this poem because I had a conversation that like, you know you have a conversation that just makes you mad? And like when poets get mad, they don't like punch something, they just go. <laughs> Alright, so this is that poem. Feminist writer Dr. Breen Brown states, the number one shame trigger for men is being perceived as weak. 
Men walk this tightrope where any sign of weakness elicits shame. And so they're afraid to make themselves vulnerable for fear of looking weak. But if you can't be vulnerable, then you can't truly grow and be yourself. Women can either embrace and help men walk across the tightrope, or we can be the ones who push them off." End quote. Someone I know said that men are weak. And so I asked, where did this belief come from? She laughed and said, it's not a belief, it's a fact. She laughed. Men are afraid to be vulnerable because weakness is deadly. My father loves me, but he still could not protect me. He's tougher than I am, but just as sensitive. Strong enough to hold my family up while I patch up the wounds, but I guess the things I can't patch are because I'm weak. I guess I was weak when I had to fight kids who would make fun of my brown skin. Like it's easy to defend melanin when you're only 10. And I guess I'm still weak when I fight with who I'm supposed to be because maybe he's not. He doesn't cry. And words don't affect him. He just deflects them like he's rubber and I am just not that elastic. You'll probably hear something sarcastic like, please, I'd love to talk about how my masculinity is toxic. Because talking to someone about their insecurities does not make you powerful. It means you brought a gun to a fist fight, hoping the recall won't break your wrist. My son, my son will be stronger than me. I know he will cry. Because he won't let the words of the bitter leave a bad taste in his mouth. He'll just smile and spit back the truth that his daddy was strong but also soft. Sometimes words hurt him, but he knew that people needed someone to blame for their mediocrity. And I don't need an apology because weakness may always be a part of me, but strength is all you're gonna see. And I don't know which part is the best of me because the venom you spit won't take my blessings from me. I'm restless and free and can't believe that I'm still fighting for that little boy in me who was told he was weak and strong is something he'll never be, so call me weak. Just put some respect on my name when you're addressing me. student, I think she may have graduated, but she's a rising poet on the UAE scene, a very bright young lady, and representing the UAE, her name is Shama Al-Bastaki. Y'all show her some love. Shama. We're Shama. Clap her to the mic, clap her to the mic, clap her to the mic if you're feeling all right. Say clap her to the mic, clap her to the mic, clap her to the mic if you're feeling all right. Clap her to the mic, clap her to the mic, clap her to the mic if you're feeling all right. All right, all right. Put some respect on her name, it's Shama Albastaki. Hello. Um, I was on the waitlist and I wasn't sure if I was performing, so I have something that I have vaguely memorized, so I'm gonna try my best. Um, <laughs> I haven't read this in a while. I think the last time I performed this was last summer at Buzz Boys and Poets in Washington, D.C., so it's gonna... <laughs> um, it's called Poetry Stuck in My Windpipe. I have tried to cough it out, tried desperately to clear my throat of this poetry that lingers in these vocal cords of mine. I long to straighten back my spine for I dislike being hunched. Crouch down, bowing to the ground, coughing out a cacophony of sound, rhythmic rumbles that escape the depths of my chest. So musical, you may mistake it for laughter, but not musical enough to be poetry. 
It is the poetry that makes me hoarse, and of course the rhyme that makes my throat so coarse, and the whirling and twirling verse that scrape the walls of my windpipe. They call it a windpipe, but really I feel no wind, only fire burning, blazing flames of words, yearning fervently to feel the coolness of my tongue. My tongue, my patient tongue, once not so long ago a lively dance floor. Music would emanate like dawn every time I opened my mouth, every time I turned my spittle into ink. Dawn and dawn and dawn anew, words waltzing with one another on the tip of my lips, tangoing to the trill of time, fox trotting and tapping to the tune of my meager existence. It is not that my words don't dance in the darkness. My words, though blind, do dance. Pirouetting silhouettes, yearning to be known, shimmying shadows of verse, yearning to be shown, swaying all alone, gliding, sliding all alone, but dancing, still dancing, in the ebony of night, and the starlessness of night, and the ebony, no, sorry, in the ebony captivity of my abrading, of my abrasive windpipe, dancing, still dancing, invisible, yet no less alive. Otherwise, mark my words, I would not be coughing this loud. Thank you. All right. Everybody, next to the mic, we have a rising star in the UAE poetry community from Al Lane. She's a high school senior. We want to keep the young people encouraged. Show some love to Danielle Granby, everybody. Yeah, how are you? Good. Good. Where are you from originally? From North Carolina. North Carolina. What city? Uh, Goldsboro. Near Raleigh. Near Raleigh. Okay, Raleigh, Durham area. Okay, cool. And are you going to university next year? Will you stay here or will you go back home? I'll be going back to North Carolina. Um, I don't know yet. Stay tuned, y'all. All right. One more time for Miss Danielle Granby. events class, we've been talking about the NFL protests. Sometimes, all right. So I wrote this based on that. I entitled it, Slaves to the System. How can you stand with a hand over your heart for a country that won't stop shooting until you're down? It isn't about the national anthem at all. It's about what it symbolizes. The land of the free, or the perpetual home of the chained. Chains on his wrist, or chains on his neck. He's still a slave to the system. Targeted by the white man because of his killer traits, I can list them. He was black, fat, lean, and he looked kind of mean. He was too big, too skinny, reaching in his jeans. Eight bullets to the chest, I watched his blood burst from the seams. Looking in his brown eyes, his brown skin glistened red with tears. I watched and listened as he drifted off into his most powerful dream yet. Chains on his wrist or chains on his neck. He's still a slave to the system. 
because of my lighter skin and they look at me and they don't see my brown kin. I have a better chance of surviving. His hand on the book as the jury looks, but the cop is steady lying. Mama's in the courtroom crying because sons are steady dying. Laughter at the white table is multiplying. Confederate flags are rapidly flying and the president of the United States is trying our patience. Ignorance is bliss, unless you're a janitor complaining about the negligence of the maintenance. Chains on his wrist or chains on his neck. He's still a slave to the system. I pulled up to your crib and I flashed back to when we were kids. We used to live under the same roof. We were best friends, but now I wouldn't have real proof of a slight relationship. Ain't no need of faking it. You're weighing it, bagging it, and selling it to other minorities. A time bomb ticking on the holster of the authorities. Ignoring me because I hit you up telling you I care. Blocking your faded eyes with your so-called dreaded nappy hair. I dare say you're the result of years of mass incarceration. I dare say you were set up to only watch a game you were made to play in. I dare say this is all your fault. Gang banger, leaf dealer, gun toter, money holder. I dare say this had anything to do with you, my brown skinned boy. Ahoy, said the traitor as he snatched up one or two. I dare say these actions led straight up to you. Dog chains on his wrist, a gold chains on his neck. He's still a black slave to the white system. Dog chains on his wrist, thick welts on his back, sack of cotton in his hand. He's still enslaved to their system. Gold chains on his neck, red jersey on his back, Vince Lombardi trophy in his hand. The winning team of the National Football League Championship game. He's still enslaved to their system. The land of the free or the perpetual home of the chain. Oh, well, hello, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. All right, where are you from? I'm from India, but I live here in the UAE. Okay, I figured that out. Okay, and what what year are you? Are you a freshman? Oh yeah, I'm a freshman. She was a part of the uh, the Marhaba group that just came here. Show some love to Fresh Meat. She's a Fresh Meat. All right. That means we need a big round of applause for Miss Akma. Um, so I'm actually from the state of Kerala in India, and I speak Malayalam there, so this poem is based on it. <sighs> Acha. My first word was father in Malayalam. My father was ecstatic, like he was celebrating, like jumping around the room. My mom, she would have probably preferred if I said Amma, but she still tells my father she's happy. <laughs> My father loves Malayalam. 150 books of the 2000 we have in our home library is covered in the beautiful curls of the 15 vowels, 35 consonants he's spoken with for 48 years. He gives me my name, Atma, soul in Malayalam. I see his soul break every time I stare blankly at the poems he writes in the language he sees home in. Malayalam, a palindrome, which means the same spelling backwards and forwards. I learned that in year eight. <laughs> grew from the Dravidian family of languages in India, spoken by million, three million people, including my family of three, my mother tongue, the supposed home of my tongue. But I've never been in that home. I've lived in Abu Dhabi all my life, not Kerala. If it was really home, if it was really mother tongue, would it still be so if the home was half built and then left to crumble under the fire of assimilation? 2004. 
I was in kindergarten. My parents used to proudly say I could speak Malayalam like Pachavellam, clear water that flows smoothly out of my little tongue until my teacher built a dam to stop it. She told my parents that I should be speaking English. They would help me later. My poor parents, new immigrants to UAE, alone in a sea of uncertainty, did what they thought what would be best to, for the future, for the little girl to survive. They started speaking English at home. The human brain was trained to adapt, so I adapted. I assimilated. Two years later, my British aunt visits and tells me, you speak English so well for your age. I was seven. And ironically enough, she said this in Malayalam. <laughs> Well, I sacrificed Malayalam at the altars of education and a possible good future. So I'm pretty sure it worked. Because one, I can't read or write Malayalam. I can only speak and understand it, and barely. And two, I'm majoring in English literature and creative writing. <laughs> According to my mother, I ain't getting a job anytime soon. <laughs> In grade seven, in a dark, dark year, in an effort to protect myself, I tore the Malayali from me. I hid it in my menelin, praying no one would notice, but the dragger still came. By then, I had torn down the walls of that home that housed my tongue and brown skin and ancestry. The English took over, but the accent still fought against it. A bullseye for the draggers. <laughs> I can only serve improper sentences in front of my grandparents, peppered with English. They can't digest it. When my grandfather asked my mother, why didn't you teach your daughter Malayalam? After every Skype call we do every weekend, my, I see my mother's heartbreak in her eyes. I am the only grandchild on my mother's side that can speak Malayalam. My grandparents' greatest fear is that I would lose myself to the same English that took, took that claimed the tongue of my little cousins, their half-British heritage, colonizing the Malayali heritage, erasing it like they tried to do 300 years ago. Be become the feared NRI, non-resident Indian, Gulf kid, Gulf Kuti. <laughs> Stuck in an in-between, that will drown me. Should I run out of the air, that is my Malayalam. I dread the day my children would come to me and ask me to teach them Malayalam. Because the only answer I will have is to say that I can't. Thank you. This young brother just turned professional boxer from the UK, representing London. You may have, know his father, Chris Eubanks. This is Seb Eubank. Everybody show some love to him. Visiting from London, England. Show some love to Seb Eubank. And lastly, Mr. Logan, you're after him, okay? You're gonna close the show. Not yet, not yet. Calm down, calm down. Okay, you're ready? All right. All right. Everybody clap him up to the stage, Mr. Seb Eubank. Allow me to introduce my poem like most deaf and approach the mic on behalf of my ancestors, Iwiem Hotep. Welcome in peace. I do not wish to speak about protest this evening, but I will recite some rhymes about progress. You see, I found the remedy for this negative energy that's been affecting us heavily. It's as simple as befriending my enemies if I want to live heavenly, so I ignore what these menacing rappers keep telling me, how it's cool to commit felonies. I do not wish anyone to bleed or rest in peace in the cemetery. You see, altering destiny can be dangerous like chemistry because karma, it seems, is like triggering symmetry. 
symmetry, mimicking imagery, literally mirroring those sinful deeds. Now, if I was to defeat your evil with my evil, then I too, along with you, would be six feet deep in total darkness. It's a good thing I can see. Love is the key. Love is what's real and the illusion of fear is merely a dream. It's not the real deal. I so strongly believe in what my prophets have told me. I was only a teen when I first heard Bob Marley sing, no woman, no cry, especially no child. So what I'm seeing on TV just cannot be right. All they're showing us is death and destruction, telling us that's life. Well, these rhymes right here are an official ceasefire. Peaceful strategy is what's needed. Alongside that passion and burning desire to be truly free. So if you wish to riot, then please, by all means, proceed. Feel free. But make sure when you stampede, you trample all over that greedy beast. And don't wreak havoc in the same streets where we eat and our daughters must walk in. No longer shall they weep. This system will concede and fall just as sure as autumn leaves under gravity for truth and justice always succeeds. Our voyage must be lust free. Only true love sees clearly through rough seas. Peace must be the outcome. Respect for one another must be rampant and visible for miles like the eyesight of falcons. No longer shall proud mums cry because gunpowder was spent on her baby son's life. Now she's forced to reminisce when that powder was talcum. These words of wisdom are profound like Martins and Malcolms. They are balanced and grounded. So please allow them to speak louder through me as I open up freely like summer flowers because really, some are cowards. Some people really fear speaking truth to power, not me. Let me tell you what that so-called power fears. That so-called power fears that one single mind might realize that the real power resides within the people. And that one single mind might find like-minded souls who reject evil and spread love like wildfire, revealing their secret disguise and true size. They will surely be defeated, for they are minuscule in comparison to the 99. And when we inevitably unite as one people with one love and one heart, we will inevitably rise. Greedy, corrupt men will meet their demise. So when I speak truth to power, please understand, I and I am speaking truth to you, to us. No matter how sour, this is revolution, move. Don't get stuck in the cycle, it's time to wake up. Stop hitting the snooze button, my fellow humans, the time is now. There is no such thing as an hour. Time is as man-made as towers, and towers marvel and bow to Mother Earth's mountains. As her snowcaps endlessly fall into spring fountains, it would be futile in counting. The concept of infinity is undoubtedly true and truly astounding, and when you understand, understand, and finally overstand it, you'll see that the plan is and always has been to simply find your happiness. So smile. Hold on to those positive thoughts. Don't let them go. There's a war on for your minds. In this life, we must all walk through the storm at some point. But can you come out clean on the other side? Protect your fortress at all times. It's important you must stand in your power. Babylon gets devoured by lions. The true tribe of Judah, recruiting humble, righteous, and kind warriors. Even after all the battles he has courageously endured, indeed, he is a changed man. Still, his heart remains pure. Or because that warrior fought for his happiness. Thank you. All right. 
That was Seb Eubank, everybody. We're going to close the show with a youth poet. Everybody, show some love to Mr. Logan Richard. He's a youth poet. Clap for him. Check, check. Logan, I, th I think you're a youth, unless you're a grown man that ages very well. How old are you? I am 12. He's 12 years old. All right, Logan, you're gonna close our show. If we left you off the list, please come and see me. We'll add you to the next show, but you're gonna be the last, okay? So share a story or a poem with them, all right? Everybody clap for Logan one more time. So this is a short but sweet poem about conflict minerals. In the Congo, the people are mining. Every phone that is bought means more and more fighting. Gold, tantalum, tungsten, and tin. More money, more weapons, the militias still win. Your laptop a backdrop for death so it can function. A desktop a sick plot for a nation's consumption. Give your colleagues a flyer. Pledge support on a website. The voicing of conflict could stop this, it just might. As Omekongo once said, you can help end the violence if you can be brave enough to just end the silence. 